0: just give the Lord a hand. God, you're good. What you do is good. Everything about you is good. So we celebrate you this morning in Jesus' name. All right, you could be seated. I will tell you I bounced back Partly because I had two full days where Apostle Julie graciously helped me wake up every morning, leave the house, keep my body moving, get some vitamin D from the sun, and then brought me right back at 6 p.m. to have dinner and go right up to bed so I could adjust again the next day. And I woke up on Friday morning a brand new person. I was like, taste and see. The Lord is good. (laughs) Uh, And then this morning when I woke up to this weather, y'all... This weather is so good. I actually in the middle of the night cuz um, I'm used to air conditioning. Y'all call it air con. I'm used to air con. So um, in the so I've been having the air con on cuz it was a little warm here, uh, just like back home. But in the middle of the night when I went up, when it when I realized it was so nice outside, I turned off the air con, opened the window, and I was like, "This is a dream come true. I am on vacation for the next 8 hours." So so it's been a wonderful time. Um, I want to really I, I really prayed about what God wanted to say to Forever House and so I'm excited about the message for Forever House, which, when I hope you understand, it's a message corporately and a message individually. And so when you come together as a corporate body, you know, quantum physics now helps us understand that every time a people group comes together, so today this people group is here, there may be members of your church who are not here today. There may be people here who are not members of the church. So today we're one unit, uh, even though there's a bigger unit that's the whole church, and there might be a few extras, right? Like me, I'm here, I'm not normally here. Uh, but today we're one unit and any time a unit of people share an experience that includes, we know it to be spiritual, but quantum physics calls it a mental or emotional connecting experience. Uh, we are joined on a quantum physics level, past, present, and future, inseparably from time or space, which means for the rest of eternity, for the rest of my life, you will affect me, even though we may never see, we will see each other again. But just in case there may be one person in here that I'm never going to see again, but for the rest of my life and the rest of your life, we will affect each other because that's what happens in the spirit and now science is finally beginning to understand the Bible said Lord make them one as you and I are one and so when we come in here together we're one so everything about our lives is affecting each other even if we think we're just in our own little world and so this is a word for the corporate house and the unit of how you're affecting each other but you're going to see that it's also very individual and what we think is personal and what we think is individual is never never really it's never just our battle it's never just our victory it's always both individual and corporate but but to get started, first, I'd like, if y'all don't mind, I'd like to minister to Pastors Brad and Sarah. Could I do that? And so I'm sure they'll have a, a way to record. Um, it's, I, I feel like family. I knew I would feel like family because I met Pastors Brad and Sarah about four Four years ago, maybe roughly four in, t- in 2015. And of course, we connected right away and felt like instant friends. Um, so it's been wonderful to be here. But, um, I've been praying for y'all and I heard the Lord say, son and daughter, even as you have walked through a season that you checked off the points of obedience and you were able to really clearly say, Lord, have we heard you and have we obeyed? And God says, you've been like, uh, like diligent gardeners to go after the things, the points of obedience. And you've been very diligent, almost like one, you know, I'm thinking of accounting. I'm a terrible accountant myself, but, in accounting, when you have to balance down to the penny and you have to find that, if something didn't balance, you have to find it. And the Lord says, Son and daughter, even when you looked over things, you said, God, we're going to find, if anything's not balanced, we're going to find it. And the Lord says, Son and daughter, I want you to know you're in balance in me. Your accounts in the spirit are in balance. You've made no mistake. There's nothing off. There's nothing that, uh, got, that, that, that you have to go back and comb through. But the Lord says, I've been tracking your obedience as well. And I want you to know, well done, good and faithful servants with the obedience. And few would know, even there's been about a five-year process you've walked through of one thing after another of having to say, yes, Lord, we'll obey you. And and in fact, there's even that time where you almost said, though he slay me, I will trust him and obey him. And the Lord says, I'm well pleased with your hearts of obedience. And right at the point, you're at a tipping point season. And the Lord says, don't doubt in the dark what you heard in the light. You're right at the precipice of a breakthrough like you've never imagined. And the Lord says, it's gonna be an all-encompassing breakthrough. There's gonna be relational breakthrough for loved ones you've cared for. Uh, even loved ones that may not be blood relative, but they were very close to your heart, where there were times of heartbreak that took place and there was times of, uh, of, a, of a wondering, is this the depth we thought it was? Is this really that lifelong friend that sticks closer than a brother? But the Lord says you're going to see rate breakthrough relationally. You're going to see a greater breakthrough in business. You're going to see greater breakthrough in, in the ministry. And you're going to see a greater breakthrough in the new ventures that I'm opening up to you as well. And God says you're going to see all at once things that you felt like long-standing uh, sh- strains. And the Lord says not that the work part will be gone, but it's going to tip and the things are going to begin to snowball into a positive, favorable direction, declares the Lord. And God says, watch what I do because I'm not decreasing anything in your life. I'm only expanding. And you've you've said, God, do we have the time and the ability? And in fact, it's almost as if everything is on the altar. There's nothing that you hold that you would not allow the Lord uh, to be like your Isaac on the altar in surrender. But the Lord says, um, I've received your heart of putting Isaac on the altar. I receive your heart of placing everything before me, but I want you to know I'm not consuming any of it. I've provided for you, and I'm gonna provide expansion for you, and I'm gonna open up doors that will cause things to click into a into a greater synergy for you moving forward, says the Lord. And God says, daughter, there's inside of you such an authority that you've learned how to navigate and you've learned how to have great strength restrained, how to walk in meekness just like Jesus did, that though he was God and could have done anything, yet he chose his words and he humbled himself. And Lord says there's such a great strength and an authority inside of you that you've tended well with meekness. But God says this is the season, and it's, even though you're a beautiful girl, it looks like, uh, it kind of looks like Hulk, you know, kind of like just like (laughs) uh, pumping up. This is the season that I'm showing off the authority that I've established in you. And the Lord says there's a strength, your husband knows it, your family knows it, close ones know it, but there's a strength inside of you that's about to rise up in a very public way. And the Lord says I'm going to use you to confront works of darkness even among the body of Christ. I'm going to use you as a powerful plumb line voice. And the Lord says you're going to find that though you're not confrontational, that there, there are times of confrontation in the spirit that I've released, that you have the strength and the wisdom and the meekness to navigate. And so the Lord says, even as you see certain things of confrontation that have taken place, don't ask, Lord, was I wrong? Have I done wrong? But the Lord says, no, that because of your meekness, because of the strength and the authority, I'm using you to be my plumb line to cause alignment. And God says, I'm going to give you both a ministry into pastors, even throughout Australia, that we are going to see. It's not that there's going to have to be public outcries and public issues, but you're going to see the broken pastors be able to see alignment come and be able to see things uh, uh, turned around in their very lives because of the strength of the authority when they partner with you and when they receive the real word of the Lord. And God says, daughter, arise in the greater authority with confidence because you're going to see. It's like you already have and you already know, but the Lord says, allow it to be public and allow it to be something that is that is, uh, is really the nature of who you are. And I, I'm just reminded of this phrase. I, I know a prophet who who says when he's home, he folds his wings. So, you know, we don't have wings, but but in other words, like he, he kind of just like, is meek and and humble. But when the time's right, people see the real authority and the real intensity. And God says, that's how it's made you. When the time's right, the authority is going to be there and the intensity is going to be there. And you're going to be able to deal with the things that need to be dealt with. And the Lord says, there are some things for you to draw a line in because there's a prophetic mantle on you that's unique to you. And so there's some things for you, even as you both come together, to draw a line and say, this is what we will not tolerate. And this is the the boundary we're going to put into place. And the Lord says, I want you to know that you've already got the trust of your leaders. You've already got the trust and support of your Husband, you've already got the trust of of all, even even that you trust me," says the Lord. And so God says, "This is just your green light to step into that in a greater way." And Lord says, "Son, I placed upon you such a burden and a heart to break down the barriers between those that know me and those that don't, and to even break down the stigma that was around the church, and to break down some of the false idea ideas of who I am that would try to divide the, the world even farther from me." And Lord says, "I want you to know, I'm not done expanding you in the marketplace, and I'm going to begin to put you in strategic positions where the come times of mass media where you'll be at times even on the public eye in a powerful way and the Lord says you're going to represent me very well but you're going to represent me just as your heart has been as the real me and as the heart to heart who Jesus Christ is and the Lord says I want you to know even as you have seen you've seen example and example and example what not to do and it's been such a frustration point for you but God says I've shown you what not to do because in the t- when the time is right you're going to know what to do as well you've got the keys already and the strategies already of what to do as well and so the Lord says I'm getting ready to put Opportunities across your path that will become public and media and and draw attention to the things I'm doing in the marketplace through you. But the Lord says, as I open those opportunities, it's going to highlight the ministry as well, and you're not going to feel that it's a dual world or that there's any difference between the two. But you're going to know you got the same authority and the same power in the marketplace that you have in the in the church, and that there's no contest, and there's no there's no uh, one doesn't have to negate or support the other. They are both who I called you to be. And so the Lord says, you're going to find that even in the that even the public will begin to define you both in your pastoral and your marketplace role, and it's going sink, to uh, sink in their hearts to see the quality and the nature of who I am in you, and to then see the representation of what I've done in the marketplace through you. So God says, I'm getting ready to open even a greater door. I see it's just a little further off, but a powerful door of incredible mass influence. I know that you do some consulting, and that's maybe a one-on-one thing, but I see a real mass influence influence door that's going to open and the Lord says son you're well able to represent me rightly both in the church and outside the church and even as the two of you have placed some things I'm going a long time I'm sorry but even as the two of you have placed some things on the altar and you've placed some things even almost like uh it's like uh, they have the same ducks in a row and you place some things on the altar and say well Lord you've got to get the ducks in a row or it's not going to work the Lord says I want you to know I'm lining it all up I see angels that have been released on assignment even to deal with some things that were spoken and some alignments that happened uh, among some people that maybe maybe meant well, but that maybe there was just some misalignment among certain people that took place. The Lord says angels are on assignment to cause relationships to come rightly in order, to cause the right people to be drawn alongside. God says I'm even drawing along laborers. I'm drawing, a, a drawing to the, uh, in fact the Lord says it's not even that you had wrong laborers, but you're in a new season, and I'm drawing laborers that for, the, for that are for this season. You're going to find laborers in the church. You're going to find laborers even in the marketplace. You're going to find a season of hiring uh, in both arenas. And the Lord says I'm going to draw, I'm going to cause the ducks to come in a row, and Louis says, "Don't don't even worry about the order. Don't worry about the exactness of it, because I sense that there's a real strong." Uh, uh, um like a strength that you both have of exactness and accuracy and excellence that comes from the Lord, and God says, "I've given you that heart, but I want you to know the order that I do it will be excellent, even though it may not be exact to what it looks like on paper that maybe you thought it would be." And so, Lord says, "Watch what I do. I'm going to line everything up, and you're going to get the yes and the check mark moving forward for all that I have for you." And the last thing I just see is there's such a favor on your children that hey, you've never—you think you've seen it, but you've never seen anything yet. And the floodgates of blessing are opening to your children, even in the school realm. There's coming a great influx. Uh, I see a particular teacher coming into their lives that's going to really pour in and unlock some gifting and creativity. that, the, that the, Even more than you know, there's there's exceptional giftedness in both of them to go way beyond their age, way beyond their uh, what should be naturally capable and the Lord says, I'm getting ready to unlock that and they're going to excel very quickly. You're going to find the right people in their lives, the right uh, the people of favor and tutors and mentors and leaders that will pull it out of them but get ready to be overjoyed as your children are pushed forward in a really powerful and favored way from the Lord. Amen. Awesome. Bless you guys. (laughs) All right. We had time for that, right? Y'all don't mind. Okay. So now uh, I'm pretty long-winded when I prophesy, but there's so much to say to them. I could have actually gone farther. I mean, God's just really pouring out to them, but it was, you don't mind because you love them too, right? Uh, But let me just say this. The Lord told me, uh, one of the things he told me for Forever House is that the breaker is here. And see, the interesting thing about the Lord is he's always here, right? He's always here, correct? But sometimes... Holy... Hello, <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah. So one, but one thing about the Lord is when He's here, He shows up in what we need at the time. He shows up in some demonstration of who He is. When, when there was God in the earth before He sent Jesus, He came through the prophets, and then at a time Jesus came, we needed Jesus. When Jesus left, He sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is all the things that we need at the time that we need them. So when God says that He's showing up in a certain way, it's not that He wasn't here before; He was here, but He's saying. I'm changing my hat for a minute. You need something different. And I'm showing up the way you need me to show up right now. And so the Lord told me that the breaker is here. And it comes out of the scripture, Micah 2, 12 through 13, which says, I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. This is the the house of the Lord. And I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. Well, let me read this. I will surely gather all of you forever house. I will surely bring together the remnant of forever house. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. The place will. wrong with the people. That's a fancy way of saying it's going to burst at the seams. Uh, the one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them the Lord at their head. So that is the the, the, the the scriptural reference for when the Lord said I'm coming, the breaker is here. He's saying I'm gathering the remnant of, you don't look like a remnant, you look like a pretty full house to me, but I'm gathering the remnant of forever house and you're going to burst at the seams and you're going to go up, go out because the breaker has gone before you and broken open the way. Yeah, yeah. So why do you think we need the breaker? Why didn't he come as the shepherd right today? Like, why didn't he tell me he's here as the comforter? Why didn't he tell me he's here even as the, the mighty warrior? He's always the mighty warrior, right? Or why didn't he tell me he's here as the, the great savior? Or here as the lover of our souls? Here's the breaker. This actually come There's actually a, a, a great picture for this, um, and so if we, I think I have a picture. If we have it in a minute, it'll come up. But there's actually a great picture for this. If you if you ever heard of an icebreaker ship, have you ever heard of this, an icebreaker ship? So here's a picture of an icebreaker ship. So this is the Antarctic in the Antarctica. Uh, that's a Russian icebreaker ship beating an American cargo ship. But what basically you need an icebreaker ship because you have impassable terrain passable waters the waters are so frozen they're so they're so solid it's so dense you cannot do any, you've used all your resources everything that you have in yourself so that's a um a, a cargo carrying boat is doing everything right the cargo carrying boat is not doing anything wrong that it can't pass through the ice it's doing everything it was designed to do properly it's carrying the cargo it's built the way it's supposed to build it's fully functioning and it cannot pass through the ice So the cargo needs the ice-breaking ship because the ice-breaking ship is designed to pass through the ice. As forever house, you're doing everything God designed you to do. You are there's no deformity. It's like the song, "You are all fair, my loved one. You're right. There's no fault in you. Everything God designed you to do, you are doing." And yet you've reached an impassable waters, an impassable terrain, where you've done everything you know how to do. You have used every resource that was uh, the God-given nature and DNA of who you are. And somehow, how are you going to get to the other side? Breaker has shown up. The breaker is here. And so if you really look at this picture, I love this. It's a perfect picture because if you were on that cargo ship, if you look in front of you, you guys ever been on a boat? Yeah, so I, I cruise, my husband and I cruise every year. Uh, we Our goal is to cruise twice a year, but we cruise a two-week cruise every year. But we want to, like, there's so much of the world to see. You just can't see it all in your lifetime. So, uh, But we do this two-week cruise every year, and we just did the Panama Canal, which was really uh, kind of, you know, one of those once-in-a-lifetime things. It's once-in-a-lifetime because it's awesome and epic, but also because you'd be bored if you did it a second time. So <laughs> it's totally once-in-a-lifetime. <laughs> uh, so we did the Panama Canal. It was a two-week cruise, and but it only took a day to go through the Panama Canal. Canal. And um, so the interesting thing is when you're going through the Panama Canal, you're surrounded completely by land, and there's these systems, lock systems in front of you. And so if you go out to the front of the boat, and we were, we got lucky. Uh, well, it was the Lord, uh, because the boat was packed six to eight people deep at all the viewing points. Like, you're like this, like, You know, trying to see, right? But I I, I had to go to the restroom. So so Jermaine was sitting there, and I go down to go to the restroom, I see this little sign. And I just love it. It's like a little paper sign that says, bow this way. I go, really? You know? (laughs) So I go back up. Skip the restroom all together, go back up. I'm like, honey, honey, I found a paper sign. We gotta follow it. So we follow this paper sign, we go through the employee quarters, through like the kitchen, we go we follow these little paper signs and we come out to the bow of the ship and there's like five people standing there. Isn't that epic? And I'm talking like, if you watch Titanic where he stands, he's like, I'm the king of the world. That's where we were. And so, so we watched the entire Panama Canal with like nobody in front of us, right at the very bow of the ship. It was, it was stunning and amazing. However, we couldn't see a thing because there was a wall in front of us because that's how the lock system works. There's like, all we could see is the wall. Then finally the, the boat's elevated. Then we can see the, the next set and the wall. We couldn't see anything. And all around us is land. Well, listen, for this this, uh, cargo carrier, if they look out where they're going, all they see is the icebreaker in front of them. You can't see anything beyond that. All they can see is the icebreaker. But guess what they see if they look anywhere else? Ice. In other words, no matter where they look is either the trouble or just the no, there's no, you cannot see the direction. You cannot see the destination. You cannot see the thing that's where you're going. All you have to do is trust this icebreaker It better be going the right way. Because I can't see where it's going. I can't tell it where to go. All this thing, it has to follow very closely or else it's gonna the ice is going to get in the way again. So it has to follow very closely and that's it. You just see the back end of this boat. But if you look anywhere else, you see the difficulty. You see the impassable terrain. You see everything that's wrong, everything that's not going to work, all the places you can't go, all the things you tried that wouldn't work out, oh, the fact that you can't turn left now, you can't turn right. We're stuck in this till we get to the end. You can't back up? There's no option now except to look at the rear end of this boat and trust that it's going the right way. That's it. And so when we need the breaker to show up before us, the other side of that is all we get to see is his coattail and getting close behind him. My husband and I, when we go through a pack crowd, we were in, uh, we were in, um, at Rockefeller Center, at the historic ele- first election of Obama, President Obama in the United States. Um, and so, of course, he was the first African American president, first black president in the United States. Um, and so we were down there. There's a jumbo screen. There's about um, probably 20,000 people, or maybe even more if you count the edges of the streets and, and going on down. And they announced that President that Obama has been elected the first black president in the United States. The crowd is so thick. They're all drunk. It's midnight. Uh, there's a roar. The shout was so loud. Loud that the ground was vibrating and we were vibrating. As if you ever stood next to a bass speaker and you're vibrating. The shout from the crowd was so loud that we're vibrating. And my husband was like, "Before this crowd gets rowdy, we better go." Right? Well, we had we had a a, like a twenty block walk to get back to our hotel, and so my husband's breaking open the way for me. It's a crowd, a rowdy drunk crowd at midnight that's excited about this historic event. And so let me tell you what it was like. I was holding his shirt like this. And he was, and I'm like, I can't see anything. I'm just holding tight, and he wants to make sure he, he doesn't want to lose me because people. I mean, it turned into like it was like a mosh pit. It was such a mess. It was dangerous. Somebody could have died. Okay, but it was awesome for them. They were having fun. But for us, we were like, let's get out of here. I mean, not that we did. not yeah, Anyway, yeah. It wasn't uh, political. It was just because such a crowd and a, a very intimidating moment. Uh, but my husband was like, whenever I wasn't holding tight, he was like, hold on. Are you there? Are you there? Yes, I'm there. So I'm holding tight to his jacket. It's freezing weather because it's November in New York. I'm holding tight to his. Jacket jacket i can't see where he's going he's taller than me he's wider than me no he's not actually wider than me except his shoulders he's actually anyway (laughs) uh but he's taller than me and his shoulders are wider than me and i'm holding his jacket and following him like this well that is the only way to get in behind the breaker who's gone up before us to break open the way if you let any distance if he's breaking open the way and you let any distance between him and you guess what's going to happen you're getting lost in the crowd, right? You wouldn't let your kids in a, in a, in a crowded uh, place like that, and if you go to Disney World or something, you wouldn't let your kids fall behind you. That's it. They're getting trampled and kidnapped. No, I don't know. <laughs> so extreme. <laughs> and so you've got to get in close. You've got to hold tight. There's nothing else you can do and you can't see in front of you and you don't know where you're going. And all you can do is that all you can do is trust that the breaker has gone up before you, and he is breaking open the way. And if you hold tight and walk where he's walking, you'll make it through this season. But if you look around, all you're going to see is the mess, or not even mess, the resistance. So here's a key, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm developing actually a book on this. I've been speaking this. Uh, I'm not going to teach the whole thing to you, but, uh, but the key is you have to let go. You have to leave behind any idea that things are what they used to be or that things are what they look like. have to leave that idea behind. The only way to move forward with the breaker when he goes before you is to let go of the idea that what I see is what's real. I'm looking out. I see this ice. I know I'm going to die here today, (laughs) right? No, no, because you're behind the breaker, and he's moving you forward, breaking open the way. So this is something, uh, there's something I've been really studying. I'm actually writing my next book on it. Um, And it's this concept called siege mentality, and I'll tell you, I'm not going to teach the whole thing because, well, because you'd just get exhausted, I think, if I did, Uh, but also because I'm writing the book, so you can buy the book in about a year, (laughs) but, um, uh, shameless plug, (laughs) but, um, so here's the thing, I'll tell you a story to help you understand, I had a friend in college, am I talking too fast? All right. I had a friend in college who. Uh, so when I was in college, I went to college at 18, like I guess most Americans do. I'm guessing you all do too. I was about 18 when I went to college. Um, I graduated my two-year college when I was 21 because I liked it so much. I did. I went full-time, spring, summer, fall, all the semesters, and tried to stay as long as I could. But then, but then you know they kicked me out. But, um, but so, so when I was in college, I, um, in the US we pay for our college outright unless you get a student loan. I understood student loans and was smart enough, at least my dad was smart enough to tell me not in his watch would I ever get a student loan. Um, and so in order to afford college, I was one of six kids, so it was on me. So in order to afford college, I had, I, my goal was to um, get scholarships and it worked. So what I had to do was keep a high GPA so that I, every semester I'd get a new scholarship to pay for the next semester. So, so that's how I paid for college was by keeping my grades real high. And so um, it wasn't because I was necessarily even that smart. It's because if you know what to do, you can get good grades, right? So I would have meetings with my professors before the semester started every semester. What are you looking for? What's your style? What's you know, I sat on the front row. I spent extra time talking. I asked a lot of questions. I was total teacher's pet, and it worked. I had an above 4.0 average GPA. Um, so it worked great. Well, my friend in college, she was my coworker. Uh, her name was Gina. And Gina... Uh, Gina was much older than me. Gina had lived in what we call upstate New York, that's anywhere other than the city, Uh, but she had lived in a real country, uh, traditional town, and um, she was easily twice my age, maybe more, but she uh, married young and had, had her daughter and then it turned out her husband, who was very prominent, her husband was one of the major influencers of his town and probably one of the wealthiest men in his town, um, and her husband was very abusive. And so on a regular basis, she was in the emergency room with broken bones and uh, fighting for her life. And so she, at first she was hiding it, but it's really hard to hide that level of abuse. And so she started reaching out to her family and to her church and different ones. And the feedback that she got was, well... Don't you think you're lucky to be married to the most influential man in, in this city? And don't you think, aren't you grateful that you have, a, you have a roof over your head? You live in that nice big house and you never have to worry about anything and you've got a maid. And, and, and so the truth is she got no support where she needed support to get out of that situation. Uh, so when the violence turned on her daughter, she made the life-saving decision to leave in the middle of the night, pack a little overnight bag with her daughter. And she went from New York and if you, if you know the geographics of the U.S., she got in the car and left New York and drove all the way to L.A. So that was a long drive, like about five days. Uh, and, and, and she found in L.A., the Women's Liberation Movement. So anything, if you know anything about that, let me just summarize it as, if I can say this in church, she didn't shave, okay? That was the, that everything you can think of in women's rights, that was her. Uh, And so even the day I met her, man, she was, it was, anything you think of the women's rights, that was her. So she found women's liberation and that was her empowerment after after such a difficult situation. It's a shame the church didn't empower her first, uh, but the world did. And so that's what she found. So by the time I met her, she actually was such a fighter she had survived two open-heart surgeries. Of course, she'd survived this abusive husband. She was now in college again, getting her doctorate to get a promotion, paying for her daughter's college. She was just so successful. And, and for some reason, she loved me. We were coworkers, And so she kind of took me under her wing, and she's like, I'm going to mentor you. Well, I have a strong biblical upbringing, so she didn't effectively mentor me in everything that she believed. Uh, but, but she really loved me. So I came in one day, and she knew I had been nervous about my paper, uh, that, that day about a grade I was going to get on my paper. And she said, how'd you do? And I said, well, I got a B. Well, I had never had a B on anything. So, so she was like, what? I'll call him Professor M because he's still there. That Professor M, that chauvinist, that that woman, that womanizer. Do you know how many complaints are against him? Do you know he has a sexual harassment lawsuit? Do you know that there's four other girls who he's been giving bad grades to? I'm calling the dean right now. She's picking up her phone. I'm calling the dean. We're going to set a meeting. We're going to have a mediator. We're going to write a letter. You know what? We're going to go to the paper. This is unacceptable. I am not going to let you lose your GPA and lose your scholarships all because that man can't keep his eyes where they belong and he won't give you the grade you deserve. And that. And she She went off and she was going to war and she was so intense that I was too afraid to tell her the truth. The truth was I wrote that paper 20 minutes before class. This was the days before autocorrect. I did not even run a spell check on that paper. I didn't reread it once. I had no, I don't, for all I know, I don't even know what I said. And the truth is that was probably a C paper. And the professor probably gave me a B on my merit, you know, just knowing I'd done so well until then. That's probably the reason he gave me a B, right? And so she didn't know all that. So what she immediately saw was a man abusing a woman. See that? That's all she saw immediately. Here's the thing. That's something, there's actually a term for this. It's called a siege mentality, The siege mentality is a collective, it's individual and collective, but it's a state of mind where after something bad has happened, and especially repeatedly, it usually ends up being the small things, but after something repeatedly has happened over and over again, it becomes all that you can see. So even when it's not happening, you see it happening. Listen, it would have never once crossed my mind to think that that man was mistreating me because I was a woman. I don't think anyone has ever mistreated me because I was a woman. If they did, it went over my head because it's not my paradigm. You know what I'm saying? I grew up in a... I'm, th- I'm only 35. Our parents did a good job. So, uh, so it never crossed my mind to think, oh, they did that to me because I was a woman. That n- but that's the first thing that crossed her mind, and that's what's called a siege mentality. And so here's what happens. When we experience one thing after another, after another, after another, then all we see is that thing. And we have to break past. So when we see ice on every side, you can't see the breaker going before you, breaking open the way, because all you've seen all this time is the impassable ice that you couldn't get past. So we've got to break the siege mentality. I'm going to read you the definition of siege mentality. It is a feeling of victimization or defensiveness. It is a state of mind where people believe themselves attacked, oppressed, or isolated in the face of the negative intentions of the rest of the world. It is both a group phenomena and the emotions and thoughts of individuals. It, is, it results in being overly fearful of surrounding people and being uh, intractably defensive. In other words, I don't know what it's like here, but in the U.S., the church has a siege mentality. The church believes, accurately, but believes the world is against them. Is it true that the world is against God? In a way, it's true. There's, there's, there are things that are true about that, but even when you believe the world is against me, you live not according to the cross of Christ, because I am here to break, make, to give Jesus His inheritance, which is the nations. I am here to go into all the earth and disciple all nations, baptizing them. I'm here to cause the kingdoms of this world to become the kingdoms of our Lord. So rather than believing the world is against me as a church, I've got to believe, I'm here for you. You need me, you're desperate. You're desperate. But when you see the negative thing, it's, here's the thing about siege mentality, it comes when it actually happened. I'll give you a better example. So they say that uh, this, is, this comes out of military, uh, a, a military. It's a military term, and it's much like PTSD. The difference is PTSD, if you, uh, if you know, happens when one major awful thing can cause PTSD. Siege mentality is a series of lots of annoying, difficult little things, but same result, PTSD. So it's, you just got your paycheck, the washer breaks. You just fixed the washer, the kids need new, new equipment for band. You just afforded new equipment last paycheck, this paycheck, the car breaks down. You just paid for the car this paycheck, next paycheck, now you got a, this crazy outrageous electric bill you weren't expecting because something was broken. You just paid your electric bill and your spouse gets laid off. Spouse just got their job again and now you've got to make this, uh, this payment on something. You see what's happening? Little by little, it's a slow drip that wears away a resolve that says the bad things just keep happening. It's one thing after another, after another, after another, after another. And this is a diagnosable disease, siege mentality, that any of us can get when one thing after another, after another, after another happens. When all we can see is the frozen tundra. All we can see is the difficulty, the impassable things that are in front of us. And so um, there's two main keys to break a siege mentality. I'm just going to summarize them for you. Thank you. Good, good. (laughs) So they study this out in cultures. And and so for example, it's believed that Kim Jong-un intentionally keeps North Koreans under a siege mentality as we speak. Uh, South Africa was under a siege siege mentality because of apartheid. But they say that South, thank you, they say that South Africa recovered faster than any other people group. So they studied why. Did, uh, why did racism in South Africa recover so, so why did South Africans recover so quickly from racism, segregation and all that? The U.S. is taking a very, very, very long time to recover from these issues. Uh, and for South Africa, it was less than a generation. After apartheid, in less than one generation, uh, the vast majority of racial tension was healed. And so what they actually did is social sociologists went in and studied why. Why is this, How is it possible they recovered so well? And so they found two things, that con- two major contributing factors. There are several, but two major contributing factors. One, that they got rid of the symbols of their trauma, and two, that they changed how they connected to each other. So I'm going to summarize it for you because, because in the United States, we have a saying, so I don't know about y'alls. I should have researched a little to know some of y'alls. But in the United States, we have a saying, never forget. And if you say the phrase, never forget, in the United States, everyone older than 20, 25 years old thinks one specific thing. They think September 11th, 2001, the attack on the World Trade Center and the, and the Pentagon. Um, and so all you have to do actually for Americans is show a little line and two little stick figures and they immediately think the World, the world Trade Center, those two ta- twin towers. It's like that. If I drew that, if I put that up and I say, what is that? Everyone in, the, everyone in the U.S. would say, oh, that's the twin towers. It's ingrained in their mind. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it could be, right? But if you were, if you were, um, if you were Gina, any man as soon as Gina, my friend in college, as soon as she saw a man, she saw the trauma. She saw the abuse. She saw, if you've, if you've been through a financial crisis after financial crisis after financial crisis, it's probably your paycheck. The bills, you get an envelope in the mail, it's a bill. You probably, it's like, and so you know there's a symbol of trauma when you get that surge of dread when you see it. That's your symbol of trauma. You know what I'm saying? Many people actually do symbolize their trauma, like with tattoos or something i'm not preaching against tattoos i have them but many people symbolize actually take a point to symbolize their trauma but here's the thing so with, so when you hold on to a symbol of trauma it's you remind yourself because of the way your brain works you remind yourself over and over again of the bad and it keeps you bound in the bad and so if you look at this this ice is the symbol of trauma here if you were did not have that icebreaker and you're just that cargo ship and you're trying to pass ice is your symbol of trauma Well, guess what they're 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 in trouble because ice is everywhere gina was in trouble men were everywhere right (laughs) so for me i had gotten one day i got in a car was like a near car accident and um and i uh actually was this horrible driver who got angry at me i accidentally cut him off and um, he was very aggressive, and so he intentionally cut me off in retaliation. I'm like, come on, don't you have anything better to do with your life, people? Uh, but so he slammed on his brakes, um, and we were going 75 miles an hour. I don't know what that equates to here, like 100, I don't know, actually. But fast, really fast. That's like the fastest you go anywhere in the U.S. So we're going 75 miles an hour, and he gets right in front of me and comes to almost a complete stop just to kind of like retaliate because he was mad, I accidentally cut him off. And that was very traumatic for me because I had to slam on my brakes. I swerved off the road. My car spun. It was really dramatic traumatic and then i'm crying because i'm just like oh my and also because of the violence like why would that guy want to hurt me geez come on man uh, but but so it's really traumatic for me well from that point forward i'd be in the passenger seat and the car in front of us the brake lights come on and i go oh, "Anybody ever have that yeah. so brake lights were my symbol of trauma whatever that thing that spikes your cortisol your heart rate goes up your a little intensity comes you go oh god not again oh not this again not this again So here's the key. If you're going to get in behind the breaker and he's going to break open the way, you have to discipline yourself to say, this is not what it looks like. That brake light is not my life in danger. That man is not mistreating me because I'm a woman. Whatever that symbol is, it is not what it looks like. You cannot get away from the world. You cannot get away from reality. You can't get away from bills. You can't get away from people. You can't get away from any, you can't get away from whatever it is, but you have to look at it and know this is not that thing. Even if it looks like it, it's not. Even if it looks like I'm surrounded, I love that song, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you, even if it looks like I'm surrounded by ice, that's not, I'm not about to die out here. I'm not trapped. I'm not stuck because the breaker has gone up before me and broke open the way. Yeah. And the second major key, amen, yeah, the second major key that they found in South Africa is that they found that it was a difference in how people celebrated or comforted each other. And so it looks like this. It looks like, what's your name? Chris. This. So let's say, I got a paper cut. Paper cuts are the worst. Oh, it's like a little bigger than a paper cut and there's a little blood. Sorry, Chris, this is going to get gross. All right, so I got a paper cut. Look at my paper cut. Oh. oh, no. But Chris got a paper cut, too. You got one, too? You have the same paper cut I do. I'm so sorry. Life's really hard, isn't it? It's really hard when I go to Forever House and people want to shake my hand. They don't even know I got a paper cut. Does that happen to you? Oh, yeah, do they shake your hand too? They're so rude. They don't even care about us. They don't even know what we've been through. Chris, you know what I've been through. You get me. We're friends. You get me? Listen, we should meet up later. We really need to talk. Because the other day, Johnny over there, I saw he had a paper cut too. And he wouldn't even let me talk to him about it. He's pretending he doesn't have a paper cut. He's walking around, letting people shake his hand like nothing ever happened. We need to talk. I think we understand each other. And you know what we're doing when we take our wounds? If I took that bleeding paper cut, let me see your bleeding paper cut. Just rub it together. Is that gross? you think we're doing when we're in pain and we find someone else in pain and we say they mistreated you oh they mistreated me too oh no one understands what we've been through you don't know they don't know do they oh it's hard isn't it yeah good for you coming out to church anyway even though they try to shake your hand they don't we paid a price pastor hasn't even recognized us yet i bet he doesn't even know you know what i heard so-and-so say that he had a paper cut and he pretended he didn't have one until it healed because he pretends everything's perfect tell me you've never had these thoughts so listen you can find someone who has the pain you have real fast that's actually uh that's a scientific I forgot the word for it but they have a word for under when they study seizure mentality if you have a certain pain and they have a certain pain you will gravitate to each other if you don't deal with it you can find the you know this at work because you can always find a person who's mad at the same person you are can't you you can always find somebody to agree with you how awful that person was. When, you get to, when we get together and we comfort each other in our pain, we are rubbing our wound together. And neither of us is going to heal. Instead, we're going to get an infection. And if we bond over our pain, if one of, neither of us can heal, or else we'd lose our bond, wouldn't we? Yeah, I can't now, now I've got you. If I heal, I won't have you anymore. We can't meet for coffee and talk about everybody else. So, so when we connect over pain, and this is the thing that Gina wanted to do with me, but I didn't have the same pain, so it never worked. She wanted to connect with me about how awful our male professors were. I didn't lie over my head. But here's the thing. If we connect in our pain, if we connect, oh, look at all the ice that's around us. This is why when they walked around, when they walked around Jericho, God didn't let them talk because he knows human nature. Yeah. Don't talk. You cannot talk to someone about your pain, how hot it is outside, how difficult it is. You know what the complaining is going to do? It's going to build up the ice instead of get you in line behind the icebreaker who goes before you and breaks open the way. And then the second thing is celebrating. It's the, it's the opposite side of the same coin. I can comfort Chris or I can come up and celebrate him. Hey, man, good job. I saw, I saw you on the drums. I know. We know. No. Yeah, they don't know. We know. You got this celebrating or comforting on a point of pain. What does the Bible say? Listen to what the Bible says. Uh, let me read it. <clears throat> Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything at all, if you can find one single thing that is excellent or praiseworthy, think about that thing listen so when we change how we connect listen be listen to Romans 12 10 through 13 be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another not nagging in diligence fervent in spirit serving the lord rejoicing in hope patient in tribulation continuing steadfastly in prayer distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality there is a whole list of about 20 things I just read to you that we can get together and connect about and never have to connect on our pain if we're listen if you got in war and you got shot and they got shot You are not each other's medic. You both need a medic, but you are not each other's medic. And what happens when we come together as a people group, we get hurt. We're all in the same hard time. Remember I said this earlier? We're all on the same uh, cargo ship. We're all looking at the same ice. Yours may be finances. Mine may be health. Someone else's may be their marriage. Someone else may be their kids. There's all kinds of reasons that we're facing difficulty. We're all facing difficulty. What we have in common is not our difficulty. What we have in common is the breaker has gone up before them and broke open the way. They will go out for the king as their head, and he's leading them as a mighty army. So if I have nothing else to connect with you on, I better get a word from God so Chris and I can connect on what God says. What God says about Chris, not what his pain says. Chris, can I share some things God says? Chris, are you, can I read minister to you now? Actually, I'm like, I meant literally. Yeah. The Lord says, son, I've been giving you a vision in this season about the man I've called you to be that has in some ways intimidated you because you felt like that must be a fairy tale. That must be someone else that God's talking about. And the Lord says, son, I want you to know I'm talking about you. I'm showing you examples of who I've called you to be. I'm putting a dream inside of you right now where you're admiring certain men and certain systems and certain things that take place not because there's a wrong thing in you, but because there's a right thing in you. And I begun to strike the tuning fork of the men that you admire, that it would stir your heart, that it would cause you to rise up in that authority, rise up in that expectation, rise up knowing this is really who I'm called to be. And the Lord says, you've not touched the tip of the iceberg of the greatness that's on the inside of you. So the Lord says, yes, there's going to be a little bit of a letting go of some stability, but there's coming a great effectual door open before you to take that step into the thing that's in your heart, to see my hand move mightily on your behalf. And the Lord says, encompassed in all, of that new direction. It's not even that new, but it's an expansion. The Lord says, encompassed in all of the expanding that I'm doing is a, the greater outpouring of that gifting inside of you to go into the marketplace. And the Lord says, there's also a greater stirring of the pastoral heart inside of you to love and shepherd and care. And is also a greater stirring of the man who's called as a husband and a father and a family man. And the Lord says, I want you to know, it's not any, me, me, mo. It's all four. All four, of the, the, I feel like it's definitely three, but maybe even a fourth vision in your heart and area of life that you said I, which one do I expand which one do I focus on and the Lord says son as you go forward I'm going to line them all up and it's all of the above yes and amen my promises to you are true and I'm going to fulfill them and cause them to come to pass says the Lord amen so what we got to do is get together and connect with each other on what God says and get together and celebrate what God says so the first thing is we got to smash the smash the get rid of the symbols let me say this about symbols of trauma. And then the second thing is change how we, we connect. Um, I'll talk to you for a minute about idols, because none of us good Christians have any idols. Man, when I was a kid, I thought idols was the dumbest thing for them to talk about, because I thought, who is doing this? You know, they would say the Ten Commandments, you shall not make for yourself an idol. And back then, somebody did that. And maybe in some country somewhere, somebody does that. I don't know what y'all do here in the U.S., in the American church. Nobody's sitting around carving idols. It's just not a thing. Is it a thing here? So in my mind, so then, you know what they say, it's if you watch TV more than you pray. Oh, my God. Listen, I pray without ceasing in the spirit, but listen, I cannot discipline myself. If I watch two hours of TV, then I have to go, oh, now I'm not saved if I don't go pray for two hours? No, that's not God. I'm sorry. That's just not, I'm not saying that couldn't be an idol, but I'm just saying that doesn't doesn't satisfy it for me. Until I finally uh, read this book, actually, by Pastor Robert Gay, uh, one of our CI pastors in the States. Um, and it's called, uh, what's it called, Next Level, uh, but it's a book that kind of breaks down on the Ten Commandments. And he began to talk about what idol worship really is. And you understand idol worship. Idol worshipers, let's say, let's take the Hindu religion. They, car- they actually carve idols and worship them. Well, they don't believe that their God is inside the idol. Let's say this, this right here is the idol. And they make this water bottle and they fill it with water. And they, and they worship it. They don't believe that there's any god inside of this. The reason they create... They believe the, that it's out there somewhere. Like, they can't see it. The reason they do... I'll, well, I'll take an example. The goddess of fertility. The, I think it's... So the reason a Hindu would carve an idol of the goddess of fertility and place it and feed it and put, burn incense and worship it, the reason they would do that is twofold. First, they do it to give them a visual reference point of the thing that they're hoping for, the thing that they're wanting. And then the second reason they do it is to engender the right emotional response inside of them about that thing if they were to get it. So in other words, they worship the idol. They don't think their god's inside that idol. But they bring the food and they pour out the incense and they pray before it and they worship the idol to f- set a focus in their mind. I am, if it's the gods of fertility, I am going to get pregnant. To set that focus in their mind, and then two, to engender in themselves the feeling, what the emotional response, what it would feel like if I got pregnant. Well, the, <laughs> so in other words, the picture I used to keep on the refrigerator, of a skinnier version of myself, by that definition, is an idol. You see it? It's my visual reference. I will be skinny the right feelings Oh, felt so good when I could fit into anything I tried on that felt so good when I could fold up like a pretzel in the airplane seat that felt so good (laughs) you know when it it just felt so good to be skinny I didn't know it because I would I didn't I never not been so I didn't know how good it felt but once you're not you're like man (laughs) I missed that but anything so the when God says not to set for ourselves an idol it's anything we go if I that's it it's where I'm going I'm going to give my emotion to that I'm going to stir myself up about that that's the goal I think that's why you can't see past the breaker. Because listen, it's good. I'm not against motivational goals. I have nothing against that. And I do actually motivate myself every day to lose weight and be fit. (laughs) And I believe the Lord is in agreement with me. Uh, But anything that we think will get us there other than God is an idol. That's the point. Anything that can stir our emotion and give us the goal and give us the focus to get there other than God is the idol. So... And our president at the time, uh, President George W. Bush, said, he said that he's the first one who said, never forget. On September 12th, I think he gave the speech. Never forget this feeling. Never forget this moment, this image in your head. Never forget so that when it's time to go to war and destroy the enemy, you'll remember that feeling. You'll remember what they did. You'll remember the price you had to pay. You'll have everything you need inside of you, the gump, the umph, the gumption, to do what you need to do because you'll never forget. President George Bush set an idol in front of the American people. And the idol still lives. They all That whole generation, to me being maybe one of the younger ones that would still remember, the idol lives to this day. It's the symbol of trauma that you look at. So, for a woman who's been in a broken relationship, and then she says, "I'll never get married." There's the idol. I'll never let myself feel the pain of brokenness. The goal, the way I'm going to get there, there it is. I'm never getting married. If it's a, a, a breaking that happens in your in your trust with friendships or employees, I'll never get that close to an employee again. There's the idol. It's any vow, any goal, anything we say, that is going to protect me or advance me and, I'm, and remind me of where, where I'm going to go and how I'm not going to preserve myself. There's the idol. And so the way we come out of a siege mentality, the way we come out of believing it's bad is we stop, our, we have to break our own vow that we'll never let anything bad happen to us again to break that vow. We can't. Can we stop anything bad from happening to us? Not really. I mean, there's that whole stand your ground law we have. So you could shoot if someone was coming after you in Florida. I like it. Uh, But the truth is I can never stop anything bad from happening to me. I could protect myself from a gunman and walk outside and trip and fall and break my head. I mean, I'm not speaking that. But I'm just saying you cannot stop what, control what's happening to us. But... If we fix our eyes on things above and not on earthly things, if we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and took his place at the right hand of the Father, therefore all these things will be added unto us. See, they see that's why it's an idol, because if we look at him, these things won't happen, or when they happen, we're protected while they do. If we look at him, we have the right emotional response. We engender the proper reaction. If we look at him just like you would an idol, but instead him, the motivation's in front of us, the goal's in front of us, the vision's there, we're going to get there. And that's why the idol is so detrimental, because it's, it's something between us and him. So I want you to really get this picture personally and corporately. Whatever has happened looked like an impassable sea of ice. If it happened in your marriage, if it happened in your finances, if it happened in your corporate church, in your business, in your, between your children, if it happened as you made a major life decision, whatever has happened probably looks like an impassable bed of ice. But the Lord spoke to me and said, today, breaker is here breaker has gone up before them and broken open the way. Nothing is as it seems. Nothing is it like yesterday. What it looks like is not what it is. You may see ice all around, but he sees a path that if you get in right behind him, he's dug the way and he'll go up before you and you go out and pass through the gate and you'll be a mighty example and demonstration of who he is but you can't make any major life. You know, they have this saying uh, in, in, different, like in grief or loss, make no major life decisions. You can't start adjusting everything in your life until you pass through this, imp- this impassable terrain. You see what I'm saying? Getting close behind, just like I did with my husband. Hold on to that jacket. You can't see where he's going, but you trust him, right? Hold on to that jacket and trust him. You'll get to the other side of that crowd. Then we can go out for dinner and not be so nervous about the mosh pit over there, right? <laughs> That's what we did. I want to pray for you. You could stand and lift your hands. Father, I thank you that your heart is to break open the way. Your heart, God, you don't don't promise that we'll never face a trial. In fact, you promise we will face trials. You promise we will see this impassable terrain. We will see the difficulty. And yet, Lord, you promise that though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for you are with me. Lord, you promise that you will go up before us with a shout and break open the way. You promise that you have arisen and our enemies are scattered. Lord, your promises for us are written. Your promises are that we will go to the other side and see your plan and your purpose come to pass. Lord, your promise is that your word will go forth. It will not return void. It will accomplish that which you intended for it to accomplish. So Lord, right now I speak to every impassable terrain. I speak to every bed of ice. I speak to every difficult circumstance that is represented by each individual here and also that is represented corporately for forever house. And Lord, now we speak to the ice. The Lord, the breaker, has gone out before us and he is breaking open the way, and we will pass through, and we will come out on the other side, because the king is at our head. So now Lord, I decree a shift to the anxiety, a shift to the grief, a shift to the weariness, a shift to the difficulty. Lord, where all we see is surrounded by ice. Lord, let us see ourselves surrounded by you, covered by you, that we will break through, because you have broke through on our behalf. And now, Father, we even celebrate your goodness before we see the other side. We can't see where we're going. We don't know what to look at. But Lord, we choose to set our eyes on you and set our eyes on things above and celebrate now that the victory is here, that God has gone up before us and prepared the way. And Lord, I even just decree now where there's some points of grief that seem impossible and some are stuck in that grief from the past season. Lord, I break the power of the spirit of grief that would try to prolong the issue and drag it out. Lord, we decree it's done. And now we're moving on into the victory into the greatness, into the overwhelming joy, love, and life that you have for us in Jesus' mighty name. Give the Lord a hand. Hallelujah.